When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We are back with another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week we're talking about a movie that I picked because it is the 35-year anniversary of Hellraiser 2, also known as Hellbound. Um, Wow, what a jingle. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think that I'm running through my head. I'm running through my head. Okay, yes, I agree with this statement. All the things you said. (laughs) Of of, Of all of the major horror franchises that we think of when we think of the slasher genre. So like Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween, etc. I think that this movie is the best number two out of all of them. Um, I, I think that this is the only one of the slasher direct sequels to the original film that like does what later sequels eventually got to. You know what I mean? Like if mm-hmm. it would be a totally different thing to me if dream warriors was nightmare two you know what i mean but like like dream warriors does what i think this movie does it expands on the character it makes a little bit darker it dives into a little bit of origin but still not too much and just like is just out there and weird but still true to the source material to a to a certain extent uh, and I am so excited that we're talking about this. And great news, guys. If you didn't watch Hellraiser, much like every episode of Buffy, it starts with a previously on. Thank God. <laughs> and gets us all caught up on what happened in the last movie. It really does. It, it, gives, it gives us a whole shebang of what happens before, which is, yeah, I, I think they should do that with more movies. Uh, unlike, what was the, hold on. We watched something recently where there was like a whole voiceover. It was literally like last week. Freddy versus Jason? Yeah, yeah, yep. fuck that. Um, <laughs> like, that is not great previously on um, Nightmare on Elm Street and I, Jason, but uh, this was this was appropriate and pleasant. I, I loved watching, oh, the, this movie uh, I love watching the end of Hellraiser again. Yeah, no, the whole movie is a delight because you basically can watch some fun stuff from Hellraiser and then you watch mm-hmm. the craziness that is Tony Randall's. 
Hell yeah. yeah. Dude, Tony Randall just, like, Tony Randall does so many interesting things in this movie because it is both, like, off-the-wall bonkers. There are parts that are, like, truly unsettling. <laughs> And oh, it, super unsettling. The yeah. the guy with the, the, the bugs underneath the skin. Oh, my guy. God. Every time that scene comes <clears> on, <throat> I, like, and I, it was probably one of my favorite scenes. Like, I actually, my virtual background before this was the hands coming through the mattress. But to get to that, Google image search was like, you sure you want to see this? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't have it as my background. I don't want to get flagged on TikTok. You're, so now you're, I have um, three bloody bodies behind <laughs> me. I think um, it's your November pick, pretty sure. Um, that one. Uh, was a oh. real risky. Um, yeah, it's November, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it was. We're going. Real... In, we're all going in blind on that, right? Are yes. We all going in blind? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, is that I, what I, I? You and me, but Matt probably has That's, seen it because Matt's the seen clue. everything. Um, this very large. It's, it's about this big. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing: is that uh, that Google image search was real risky. Thankfully, I work from home, or else yeah. I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, because I saw some girthiness, if you this... want to know. That's um, why it's called that. Okay. Yeah, but I feel <laughs> like too much? you get a little bit of that same thing when you look mm. for certain Hellraiser um, yeah. content yeah, scenes. So, yeah. Oh, you mean uh, how like the vill- the main bed in this one has what seems to be a giant phallic cock coming out of his forehead? Oh, yeah, <laughs> and I have, I have just the thing to talk about that, too. Oh, we're getting there early today, today, everybody. Well, I've got a beer called Heady Topper. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought it was perfect for that. That is really good. Continue. We were were waxing poetic about Tony Randall, Scott, but I think you might have something going on. Um... I, I was like the doctor is in because yeah. I could not I have a Dr Pepper because there's there's nothing that I could think of mm-hmm. that was gonna be like interesting for a drink so I was just like That's I got fucking Dr, Dr. Pe- Pepper in the that. basement let's do it I love, I love that, that. It's, it's kind of it matches color wise you know I also I googled like what is Clive Barker's favorite drink because I was thinking oh well, I'll oh. just have what he's having um, yeah and. I combed through like ten pages and I did not see anything. Um, maybe I was just not. I didn't. I, I had a bad. I will get the thing. answer to this. Oh, I will get you the answer to this right now. Kyle, not Kyle's right now, on the case. Kyle's on the case because I want to know that so badly. <laughs> I, you know what's gonna be hilarious is if he doesn't drink and we're like yeah. just being assholes about it. Yeah, he's like a regular Matt Kelly. <laughs> yeah, Matt Kelly, Clive Barker, put them in a room together. The you'd never tell the difference. Uh, but yeah, so I'm not sure if you guys caught this one thing that I read, but. Both Clive Barker and Tony Randall, in their in their minds, this was like a passing of the torch, right? Like, mm-hmm. so the thing is that this movie got greenlit before the first movie even came out. Yeah, it was in so post-production. New, Hellraiser yeah, was in post-production. New World was so blown away by Hellraiser, they're like, we definitely need more of this. And both Randall and Barker were under the impression that they were going to kill off the Cenobites from the first movie and that Julia was going to be the true villain mm. of the franchise. Like, And goddamn, how good is she, dude? She's so good in this. Unreal. But unfortunately for the actress who plays Julia, uh, while they were writing and shooting this movie, the first Hellraiser came out, and man, <laughs> and were people like, pinhead crazy. <laughs> well, he looks cooler than Julia. He looks you know? cooler than Julia, and also, I don't know, you put him on the box art... <laughs> Like, yeah, so, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, you couldn't put Julia on the box art because she's just a skinless, naked corpse. <laughs> she's not. Not in Hellraiser. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. She's alive yeah. in Hellraiser. But um, like, but she also doesn't have without necessarily Frank, who is skinless. I don't know what the that's just a that almost just looks like an erotic thriller. Like, well, the, if you yeah. think about cover. Hellraiser and you think about a lot of Clive Barker's material, I mean, the vast majority yeah. of it is erotic it is. thriller. It's true. With it's very true. monsters. Yeah. And yeah. It's so much sex. So many yeah. dicks, um, so much Lots fear of, of vagina. You know, I, I get it that that Pinhead was pretty much set up as from Hell in Hellraiser, and you know, like the way that they promoted Hellraiser to be the face of the franchise. I love mm-hmm. the idea of Julia being the new queen of hell, which is what yeah. I read that they were their plan was. And um, the, the original script, and Matt, tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the original script was th- to end with her coming back up out of the bed at the very end instead of the, um, the, the pillar, pillar yeah. with Pinhead's face on it. Um, which I forgot that that pillar shows up in this movie, in the, kind of directly linking into the third. Time. Yeah. 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 Threes. Yeah. Threes in the air. Uh, <laughs> wait, hold on. I always ask this. Have we talked about three on the podcast? Yes, we sadly. already did. Yeah. We've done Sorry. two, three, four, okay. six. No, we've seven. done two, we've three, done four in Hell World. That's it. Is Hell World so, eight? Or is it that's seven? Eight. That's wow. eight. That's eight. Okay. Okay, you, damn, guys did blo- you, did, you did Bloodline. Okay, okay. Bl- I yeah. picked Bloodline a long time ago. We've, we've covered all the ones that matter besides the first one, which yeah. we'll probably never do an episode on. Though I, and- Inferno's fine. I think we had this discussion before. Inferno's fine. I don't think it's worthy of an episode. Like it would be hard I, to get the the ha-has yeah, out of it be. because yeah. it's like a it's really it's like a, a crime it's like a crime thriller a, with procedural yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's true barely uh, well let's so so this movie be after we get the previously on we get a very quick segment of Pinhead's origins which uh you know I I found out later that a lot of the stuff in part three where we really get to yeah. know more about that character uh, was kind of removed from the script so this was kind of just like they just wanted to establish that every Cenobite starts as a human Mm -hmm. and since Pinhead's the iconic one here's a quick shot so that you can get a a rough idea of how that happened Mm -hmm. Um, I think the point of that being that like a lot of these people who became Cenobites maybe weren't truly evil people in the sense of setting up Julia as someone who was straight up was evil straight before evil. she got pulled who into got, hell. Who got like seduced by yeah. the evil who was evil and like just yeah. wants to take this on. It's Which is great. I mean, it's a great way to sort of inform the Cenobites. But it's song. not as scary. No. It's not it's as true. scary if only bad people get turned into Cenobites because like Chatterer was a little boy. Yeah, no, we got to get into that because I wrote that down that I – Look, I don't want to watch a kid die for sure, but I really need an origin story of who this child was, how he got the lament configuration, because they they even say it's not hands that summon us, it's desire. So the kid, yeah. it's not like the kid just played with a box and accidentally summoned some all those other kids like really slaying their Rubik's Cubes and was like, well, I have this <laughs> thing. Uh, uh, yeah. I'll just do it real fast. And I also want it like, I feel like theoretically he had to have been sent to hell but they were still like, well, you got to grow up before we can like fully Cenobite you up to be. <laughs> I don't like, think that's how the magic works, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'm like, what the? Because it's like a full grown ass man. Eight years. Yeah. 
but they uh i also read that chatter you'll notice has eyes this time around and i, I they were so mad about that well yeah. it's because the actor was just like i keep bumping into shit in the yeah. first movie yeah. <laughs> like could you, could you, you figure know, this out of, speaking of actors i found it very interesting that the guy that played skinless frank mm-hmm. in hellraiser plays skinless larry so dad in mm-hmm. the beginning of this yeah he also plays the guy with uh parasitosis which is the bugs under the skin and he plays something else in this yeah like he played he, three roles he did he was a man i of hope he got paid motherfuckers like basically doug jones <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doug jones yeah. this whole thing how uh so i don't know if this is iconic in the way that i think it's iconic or just that it's was an image that I saw in a uh, film review book that captivated me, but that skinless Larry next to the I'm in hell help me uh. is just like, it's so good. So good that Nine Inch Nails wrote a song after that scene. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Probably the funniest line in the whole movie, in a movie that's not filled with very many funny lines. It's not a, it's not a particularly chuckle-worthy movie. No knee slappers. But, no. but Julia, fully skinned, shows up, She's talking to the doctor, and then it cuts to this shot where she's staring at herself in the mirror, and she just says two words, I'm cold. <laughs> and I'm like, and I thought, perfect. perfect. That is that is that Tony Randall wit that made us love his other films so much. Dude, I, you know what I, also, what I also loved about this movie was there's a lot of, like, interesting effects like editing choices like actual visual effects that like reminded me so much of like not necessarily to the point of like ken russell stuff that we've talked about before but there's a so Mm -hmm. much of that style of thing happening here in the realm of hell that i was like when she goes into the fun house uh and is like seeing all these moments in time um i was just like uh, i was i was kind of blown away by it i've seen this movie a handful of times but each time, and I just got the Arrow um, Blu-ray of it, um, so it looks even better than my weird, like, is this widescreen uh, DVD um, that I had? That's what I watched it on. Yes, yeah. Oh, and I've <laughs> had that forever, like, so I just upgraded. And So is that the one that has the, the surgeon scene that people talk about? Because, I mean, does that exist for real? I, I don't recall a surgeon scene. There's um, So there's, no. like, some surgeon scene that I was reading about before we started recording that said that there's a deleted scene that has been talked about for decades at this point where Pinhead is wearing OR scrubs and he says something to the effect to Kirsty that um, her dad is dead and that he's going to like perform brain surgery on him or something like that. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me because... I don't know how it would really fit into the story with the way that that was cut. That almost feels like they're freddying up pinhead in that scene. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's, do a, anyway. it's a special feature of it on that Blu-ray. Uh, okay. So it's not in the no. cut that you have no, because it wouldn't make the, sense. Right, but it's on the special but it's feature. On the yeah, and I've seen, the, yeah, I've seen the still of him in the surgical gear and I've not really thought much of it. I don't know why. I guess I thought it was maybe a I never sequel thought anything or, of it until today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to loop back and watch that. You know, you're talking about the, the cinematic choices mm-hmm. that were made. Um, and I was like, okay, this is Tony Randall. Like, who who the fuck directed the original Hellraiser? Mm-hmm. I always forget that it's Clive Barker. It's fucking Clive. Yeah. Um, Clive does yeah, it. Yeah. Clive. It's crazy. Clive, that yeah. dude's he did a, a maestro. great job. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. it's his first, it's his who, debut feature, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it might be one of the strongest debut features from, like, from a horror someone, director. <laughs> from a horror. Well, I would say, like, 
a lot of a lot of filmmakers who get their debut feature film, they've done some shorts and they've done like mm. other projects to build themselves up. But as far as like someone, especially in horror, someone coming from like a writing stance and yeah. then making their way into he, directing, he only ever he directed, did a really strong job. He, he directed like five movies total. Like he has not directed that much. No, stuff. he directed. I'm, um, I'm actually looking right now. <laughs> he directed yeah. a couple of shorts. Uh, early on, like de- like a decade before Salome and The Forbidden, um, which I have on VHS, I've not actually watched them yet. The Forbidden, The Forbidden, yeah, he directed. Oh, that's 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 the um, that isn't that Candyman? Correct. Yes. So, so in seventy three version of Candyman, yeah, he did. So I will. Oh, oh, okay. Salome is 50, 73. Forbidden is seventy eight. Did he really write the Forbidden that was in in the flesh in the seventies? Dude, I, I mean, I, I cannot confirm, fucking... but uh, Jesus. he did some. I, so I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. Redemption. If anybody remembers Redemption, they had it was always like a you black cover with like a little like sort of dem- demonic or witch person on the top of the cover. But they released, um, they released a VHS of it. I'll, uh, I'll eventually rip it and we can talk about it um, sometime. But uh, I just haven't watched it yet. And I think they're the all forbidden. I, yeah, I think they're all. Sil- I have Salome and the Forbidden on the same tape. Oh, on the yeah, tape. They're on gotcha. the same tape. Um, I bought it at the archive. Vinegar syndrome. Uh, everybody, take a drink. Um, okay. <laughs> anyway, we can get back to. Um, uh, but no, we'll it is. It, Clive, yeah, Clive. I mean, Clive really set. Tony really follows in the footsteps visually of what Hellraiser one was. And this is and builds early, upon it. I mean, this is a, in a lot of ways his true directorial debut. He did Defcom four prior. He didn't even really get like a credit for it. Like, I think that that was like one of those. Like Roger Corman or Charles Band, like, mm, yeah. hey, we got we got a poster and and a few props, and you got three weeks to make it happen. Type <laughs> film. This was like the have first time that it? I have it, uh, but I think I have it because it was like Scream Factory put it as a double feature with something else. I want it type movie, but yeah. So like, all that to say, like, you're right. The visual. There are moments when Kirsten and Kyle show up at the doctor's house. Shout out Kirstie? Kyle. Kirstie, sorry, Kirstie. When they, when Kyle opens that attic door, and there's all these rotted corpses mm-hmm. in there, like that shot, super unsettling. Yeah. Right. Then mm-hmm. Julia kisses him, and we get this wonderful tracking shot, like this uncut tracking shot that starts with Julia kissing his normal-looking face, and it just slowly moves around her back. And then as it comes back around, you can see his face is now whitened and like there's shit pulsating off of it. And it's like the skill that it took. It's like one of those things where I can't help but wonder, like, like, I guess they did half of his face in that makeup on the one side. Like, I'm trying like the the way that they did it and made it look so seamless. Is there a hidden cut in there? Like cut. They just probably did such a good job with a cut. I, I, I would envision. I would imagine it being a cut, but. Now that you, I, ha, I would say it has to be, but that's it a whole day. Of, but that's a whole trick. day of filming that I don't know if they would have given him. You know what I mean? Like this is a high budget. Yeah, they movie. cut like, the budget for this really hard. That's why yeah. we don't get any of the Cenobite backstories, yeah. Yeah. Except, yeah. except for a little bit of Pinhead. And then, I mean, when when she shoves the Doctor into the Leviathan, it is fucking horrific to watch. Yeah. Like it's oh, yeah. cheesy and cheap, but it is effective. Yeah. Yeah. We're just like, what is ha-? like. And I love, I love the whole look of that. You know what I mean? Like, 
then it just gets weird and i love when it gets weird yeah like well, i like so, it more when it gets weird after that like that's I, where the movie really starts for me mm. <laughs> like, Into, in the third act then yeah yeah so that's really interesting because so many people prefer the first two acts because it's more traditional hellraiser yeah. and then the third act is kind of like so tony randall said that that was a decision was yeah. to make the third act dark fantasy to differentiate itself from hellraiser i like the third act yeah. i yeah. think that the plot disintegrates completely and, does, and it's it, visually does it maybe cool. would you say the third act uh, falls down a hole and just leaves a pile of skin behind. <laughs> sure, sure, Matt. <laughs> I, guess, that, I guess he might. Yeah, see, that's around the point where I'm like, you know what, this is just so fucking weird now. I mean, and it's you, just a ride, right? You yeah. know, like, it's not... Mm -hmm. Look, you know Homeboy was loving some fucking stop-motion snake fingers exploding yeah, out yeah. of someone's hand. Like, I was like, yes, yeah. I love all of this. Uh, the only thing that I kind of regret is, you know, Doctor rolls up into his hospital and there's all these patients there i forget every time i watch i'm like he turns them into cenobites right and it's like no he just kills them and i'm like man yeah. what a fucking missed opportunity to like they didn't just have the introduce money. yeah they didn't have the, i well, there had, that too much had to have been to the original them each the box and then to try to yeah. you know it's like so wait I don't for them even to know hit the right <laughs> if if dr channard is actually like that powerful that he can just blow away the original mm -hmm. four Cenobites without really breaking a sweat and quest, sub question to Cenobites sweat. Um, <laughs> um, I think that he's power. He's Butterball's he's, the only one who sweats. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I, I think that he's funneling the, the full power of Leviathan through him I because agree. he's connected via the, the, the thing in his head. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that he is significantly more powerful than the traditional Cenobites who are also probably formed over a much longer period of time via suffering, things like that. Because, like, I, I would accept that Chatterer probably was not grown into an adult body as into the Chatterer, but rather just, like, metamorphosis over a long time of torture. Uh, yeah. But that doesn't, like, I, he's dead, so yeah. he's not, like, going to grow. But what I would say is that Dr. Channard would definitely be able to turn the entire psych ward into Cenobites if he cared to. But I think that the idea is that... that He just wants to be the one. Yeah, I think mm. that he doesn't... Yeah. Since he's a fresh Cenobite, he doesn't think about making more. I also think that the concept of creating Cenobites, it's got to be a special occasion. You know, like, yeah. they kill a lot of people. They killed Frank. They killed... Frank's kind of the only one that we see. It's implied that they've killed people, who, anybody who's really opened okay, the box. Okay, it's right. an implication. But, yeah, we only see Frank get murdered. but yeah, um, Frank does the, most of the murdering in the first one. Mm -hmm. I think that we're getting it twisted with three, which is where they just... They just go. Because oh. since it's like the 90s, they had to up the ante, and so they're like, fuck it, let's make a shitload of new Cenobites. But I think that the concept of a Cenobite is, is like... Because I read that Cenobite means someone in a monastic order. Um, oh. And so... They are kind of like, cause cause Pinhead isn't really named for a really long time, right? Like he is the Hell Priest, yeah. um, and like so so they're not named in so much as the lore of the lore as much as like fan lore. So I feel that they have ascended beyond the regular torture to become the torturers, and so except for Doctor Channard. The vast majority of the time, I think that it's like your soul just basically be mm -hmm. like 
is tortured and tortured and tortured, and then it becomes corrupted enough that you become a Cenobite. Yeah. So it's so, a special occasion. It's quick, not like, ooh, pointing right. a finger at someone, ooh, you're a Cenobite now. That only happens in three. Well, that, yeah, and <laughs> well it happens in four as well. But you're right, too. Yeah. Like, the quick turnaround and the intention in which he's been become a part of this world is all for power. I know he was, like, helping Julia. And he was doing all this stuff, but it's like it is for this sort of selfish gain. And he's a doctor, sure. and he's all these, you know, not that, you know, uh, doctors uh, necessarily do that. Um, but uh, <laughs> Carly doesn't listen to this. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. She wouldn't. <laughs> but there, there's this intention that he go, that he ends up into the world, even though it's sort of, you know, by accident that uh, mm-hmm. yeah. that he has. So I, 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 I like where your head's at, Scott. I And I agree. Uh, yeah. Though I think maybe I, it was financial. <laughs> they, yes. Well, I'm, I'm really just trying to expand upon, like, the – the um, Randall not lore. Expand, expound <laughs> well, upon the lore. Yeah. And I can't remember if this was officially from the writer's perspective or if this was a fan theory after the fact. But another one of the reasons why a lot of people think that he was able to so quickly take down all of the original Cenobites isn't just an OP situation, but because uh, is it Christy? Kirsty? Kirsty. 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 Uh, because Kirsty was like reminding him of his humanity, so he it was like he mm. showed up at a point where they were already vulnerable to using their powers a little bit. Mm. In that scene, I gotta give a shout out that Doug Bradley throat slit effect, where he is just like still gasping for air as like the blood is slowly coming out. It is a beautiful like that is an effect that in 2023 would just be like some digitally done effect yeah. it looks so seamless and good in this it movie it's unbelievable it does they're um, very they're very they're, every every effect in this is effective for the most part i mean there's there there might be a couple things that i'm like uh but not as many as maybe the first Hellraiser uh, and certainly no. the atmosphere <laughs> of all of this. Like, well, actually, I was thinking in that, like, previously on uh, segment, I was like, oh, yeah, all the lightning, like, all, the, like, the lightning bolts and the, like, the electricity that goes through the Cenobites. Yeah, the, like, painted, the painted on lightning bolts, even when the Leviathans doing yeah. lightning stuff, it's, it, that has never aged. Well, no. I don't. It won't. Never and it won't. painted on the cellular. Yeah, the right. painted on the celluloid stuff is always. I don't rough. mind it. It's nostalgic. It's charming. It very yeah. charming. But I. It's remember. just because we grew. I mean, like I grew up in the eighties. I, I actually, that kind of stuff. I really am. I thought about what we've talked about before, particularly about this movie. Uh, if there is a sequel that's better than the original, and I, I, I don't believe that hellbound is better than the first but it comes closer every closer time than i watch it, it other fucking one. come it like it i swear it inches just a little bit closer like it really does so i don't think it'll ever but take I think the question spot, it's not I, is it better or is it equal how about this yeah which one if you were if you were like laying in bed and you just needed to put on a horror movie to chill oh. and fall asleep I, I don't know whatever would you pick Hellraiser, or would you pick Hellbound? Uh, I mean, this is a real question, Kyle. Would, I, would you pick, pick, I would pick. I would pick Hellraiser. I pick Hellraiser. You pick Hellraiser. Okay. Yeah. I probably yeah. would also pick Hellraiser. Yeah. Um, I would pick Hellbound. Is that yeah. right? I, so yeah, so I do have a. I do have a very fun fact. For somebody uh, who likes the to, first two acts more, you would still pick Hellbound. Yeah. I'd be asleep by the third. Ah! Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you got that it. wasn't it's a, a set, I didn't game. set you up for that, but like it was literally like, yeah, that's that's pretty much what happened. Fair. It's a little bit brighter. You know, like the 
I feel like Hellraiser is a much darker lit film. Yes. Oh, sure. No, it, and it, for it some reason, is. it just kind of tickles my eyes a little bit better to watch Hellbound. I get that. But I think that Hellraiser is a better movie. Yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah. like that's yeah. that's just I think that it's a better paced movie because. I like all three acts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also a heavier movie. It's a lot more dramatic. It's true. Whereas this movie is more of God, I'd love to see Hellraiser as a stage play. Holy fuck. My favorite special effects. Have to shout it out. Could practically just be horror movie night in a nutshell. The two skeletons doing it on the pillar at the end of the movie. (laughs) Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, The last thing that I wrote down that I do think we need to talk about, and uh, Scott, this one's dedicated to you, because boy, do you love some head trauma. Uh, The ending of this movie, that decapitation right at the jawline, fucking beautiful gnarly Gnarly. it's so good like the the decapitation at first i'm just like fuck yeah then when it cuts to the thing still dangling you can see that it was ripped at the jaw and not at the neck i was just like even better like i fucking love that and i agree with you guys like look the third act it's definitely a tonal shift i just have so much fun in that third act they are just there, you can tell everyone's just having fun at that point. They're just they're just swinging for the fences. They're like, what what special effects can we pull off with the little bit of budget that we have been That's gifted really, at this? Oh, point? I mean, that how was their, that was their about, plan. Talk about handing off things for Tony Randall to then end up doing right. Like, I yes. mean, like oh, the sure. crazy thing is that like as somebody who has to come into a sequel and then also have it be their basically their directorial debut to then bridge the gap between like what Barker was doing and then what Randall will go on to do. I don't know if there's a better example of that no. than this. But it's crazy. So I want to bounce I actually want to bounce back to one other thing cuz we were talking about the like better than or as good as or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think what sets this apart and Barker being part of it and like working on it while they were in pre-production of Hellraiser is that it just feels like a continuation of a thought way more than a lot of other horror movie sequels are. Yeah. A lot of the other horror movie sequels are reactionary to what people loved in the first movie and trying to like replicate it or do it over again. Mm. Um, But slightly more, you know, we've seen scream Two. like Randy gives that whole thing where it's like, you got to do the movie again, but like gorier and more convoluted. And it's like, they didn't, they weren't even they they were making this while the first one was still getting finished. Yeah. So like they didn't have time to know what the audience wanted right. and they just followed their gut on what was the next logical step in the story and I think that that's what stands it above everything else even if that's it made it point. onto Roger Ebert's most hated list. Uh, well, of when that have we year, ever but... listened to Roger Ebert's opinion about horror movies? <laughs> horror movies. Fuck fucking thumb never. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> 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 You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. All right, Matt. Um, double feature. Give me to you. Give it to me. Look, 
I know I I noticed something while we were having this conversation. We all put in a lot of work to not talk about what movies Tony Randall has made because ah, I think we're all gunning uh, for different ones. Um, but I think stylistically the one that makes the most sense. He did a lot of other movies that I think are better than this and more fun than this. But stylistically, this and Amityville 1992 just feel like they make sense to me. You know, Matt, Mm. I just got to say, if you were to put on Amityville 3, 3? No, Amityville, what number is it? I don't even remember. It's like 5. Well, if you were to put on Amityville 92, I would look at you and I would tell you one thing. I'd be like, it's about time. Uh, Scott, what what would you double feature? I'm gonna do the Hellraiser one? remake. Ooh, you're an just athlete. because they Scott. Damn it, Scott! <laughs> I can't believe you said that. I did not think you were gonna say that. Really? I really? Mean, you can we, have it. I'll find something no, else. No, I'm okay. I'm being hyperbolic, but I, I'm being <laughs> fucking dramatic about it. But um, I was surprised. I'm surprised to hear you say that. I really liked it. I the reason why I pinned that one <laughs> is that yeah. at the end of it you get the the same scene basically where you see a new Cenobite being created and it's pretty much the same as Dr. Channard being turned into a Cenobite mm. so um, I mean not the same but it, it has the same kind of um, it feels like it has the same the energy for sure relative. Cenobite energy yeah yeah. Uh, that's true that's a, yeah. that's a great point um I like that a lot. You could always go with Children of the Night because I know how much you loved that one. Yeah. His strongest film? Shut up. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to go with Nightmare on Elm Street 2, actually. I think that it would honestly, honestly be, if we watch this first, Elm Street 2 second, it's like a perfect dichotomy of energies. as far I as love like, Nightmare Two. And I, I love, here's I the love thing: it too. anybody says I love it. As too. I was, I do. It's as so I was fun. rattling off why this is a better sequel than most horror movie sequels, and I was talking about how they try to copy the original movie too much. I, in my head, I was like, you know what? I, I love Dream Warriors, but Freddy's Revenge, true to its credit, absolutely does something different. Yeah, <laughs> with really, they had Street. no idea what they what was going to work. <laughs> yeah. Like, and they went the exact wrong way. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah, I think that that's the fun part of it. Is that the uh, you know Matt had made a good point about it, this being a continuation without the knowledge of what you know it would be and what it would become. Yeah, and, you know, um, Freddy uh, Freddy's Revenge is not that, um, <laughs> and and I love it for it too. Um, yeah, and I also I love that Freddy in Freddy's Revenge is not a prankster yet. No, he's still that, pretty that fucking mean. That happens the next movie. He, yeah, he, he is yeah. mean. He just happens to like insert himself a little bit more in a world Honestly, that which is sort of goofy. Kyle, that's yeah. that might be the best double feature of the three of us because I agree. Yeah. Freddy ripping himself out of Mark Patton's body is straight Hellraiser shit. Also, you just that, said yes. uh, inserting himself into, and that's the gay Hellraiser. Yeah, and dog. so I don't know if that was like on purpose or subconscious. Subconscious, but, but know, I'm also, also rock hard, so I don't know what to yeah, tell you. I mean, like, yeah. completely bricked. Uh, I mean, like, literally sex sandwich me between Pinhead and Well, and that's the Freddy. other thing. I mean, we're ha- we're talking about so much sex, right? And, like, that yeah, is yeah. the that is the So sex- much homoerotic. So mo- exactly. Stuff. And that is the sexiest uh, or ho- most uh, erotic Nightmare on Elm Street has ever been. Maybe some people might not find it sexy, but it is also the most erotic. It's that- the most erotic. Yeah, yeah like, the, right. the imagery is so sexual. Is he so goes sexual. to a fucking 
He goes to a leather bar. He gets he uh, he murders someone in the showers. Like it's so much like repressed homophobia. A lot of crotch shots. Yeah, so much. I mean, I love that movie, and I'm not I'm not being sarcastic at all. Also, like that's Megan's favorite nightmare movie. So she doesn't like horror, but she was like. She was like, let's watch the gay horror movie that you yeah. were talking about. I was like, oh, you mean Nightmare 2? I was like, yeah. Yeah, and, dude. And uh, we watched it during the pandemic. We were, we were stuck one. at home, and she was like, let's finally watch Nightmare. Which which Nightmare was that? I was like, Nightmare 2. She was like, okay. She had a blast. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun one. It's yeah. a fun one. I, I, I do. I, I would not make her watch Hellbound, though. No. <laughs> yeah. no, no Hellbound no, no, no. is not for the faint of heart, but it, Nightmare 2 it is, is I think that, uh, and I'll just say this, Not and then we'll move the to the last segment part. of the uh, of the podcast. But it, it ticks as much as I love ticks. Ticks feels like the very odd stepchild in Tony Randall's otherwise oh. fairly dark filmography. It does. <laughs> no, ticks. Ticks is my favorite Tony Randall movie, as Same. we all know. Same, but, but stylistically, it does not make sense it, it, with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. So that said, Matt, why don't you take us home through the the final stretch here? Um, what have you been digging on that isn't a recent movie? Yes, because we stand with, with the with the actors and the writers who are striking. Yes, Kyle uh, gave graciously gave me a book uh, the last time I saw him in person uh, that was going to go on horror finds, and I just looked at the cover and said, "I kind of want to read that." And he said, "Take it," uh, and it was Funhouse by, and I believe I'm saying this right, Diane Ho, H uh, O H. And it's like a 90s, like in the same vein as, uh, I, I, I forget what the genre was, but it was like R.L. Stein wrote a few of these. Christopher Pike wrote a th- oh, few like of these. The it point, was like, like the point horror. Um, point horror. It was like horror. pre-scholastic, yes. but it was still scholastic was point horror. There's actually a, yes. there's actually a good podcast, um, like point horror book club or something. But continue. I'll have to dig into it. But obviously, you know that Matt Kelly loves a dark ride. Uh-huh. So I saw yeah. a book that said Fun House with a picture of a fun house on it. And I thought, all right. It's 160 pages. Let's knock this out. Oh, that's and, a day for you. Yeah, and I knocked it out in a day. And it is ah. so. It is this. Uh, it's a really fun little mystery, and it gets dark. Like as I was reading, I'm like, I want the movie version of this. Uh, and the story is essentially that you're bouncing back and forth between two narratives. You've got the main character, and she's at the boardwalk in their small little town. The whole town is just known for this boardwalk. And the roller coaster derails and kills one kid and severely injures three other kids. And she swears that she sees someone underneath the tracks run away and everyone thinks that she's crazy. Um, And then it bounces to the narrative of one of the characters, but we don't know anything about them. And they were in the attic one day and found the journal of a woman whose husband used to own the boardwalk and his friends cheated him out of the boardwalk and he got so depressed he killed himself. And then the family knew that she would be poor without the baby she was pregnant with. So they stole the baby from her saying that they could take better care of it. And then that mo- that woman also killed herself. And you're like, you very clearly are like, okay, the person who found this diary is the child of these two parents seeking revenge but you don't know who it is. Mm. You just know that it is someone who's friends with the main character. And like, it just keeps bouncing between like shit happening to anybody who's tied to any of the families that currently own the boardwalk Mm -hmm. and the narrative of the kid explaining more about what he found in these journals and stuff like that. And it is like, I was like, this is actually it. I was like, this is so well done. Like, especially cause like growing up on RL Stein, um, 
Shout out to Jersey Ghouls. They're doing. They did a, a episode recently just called the Christopher Pike Summer Reading. Oh, nice. Um, where they just like did a breakdown nice. of Christopher Pike. And they mentioned this because Jackie was like a Jackie was like me. It was like R.L. Stein or nothing. Yeah. And she was like reading Christopher Pike for the first time. I was taken aback by like that there was actual body counts. Yeah. And stuff because R.L. Stein was so like G and PG rated. Right. It was just people being um, scared. Like the body count was yes. like who was scared the who was scared the yeah. most and who ran. But away like to read a book like this where like people people are dying yeah. and being killed by booby traps and shit. I was like, this is great. So if you can track down a copy of it, possibly on horror finds or at a table at a convention for horror movie night. Yeah, dog. Come and grab it. Scott, what do you got? Yeah, how about you, Scotty? This was not intentional, but I just didn't get around to talking about it the last couple of weeks that we've been doing this change in the uh, the third segment. Maybe six weeks ago, I finished In the Flesh by Clive Barker. And um, I... Enjoyed it, but I think I liked it in human condition. Personally, um, I liked In the Flesh, but I also felt like The Forbidden is so long. It's long. It is like it's, a long. Real, it's like a legit novella, and in a book that is like 200 pages, having a 100-page story and then three 30-page <laughs> stories or whatever is is um, it feels very uneven, and and so I mean I think that I liked the Madonna the best of the three mm-hmm. it's hard to it's hard to say yeah so my mom gave me like last summer i asked her my mom um i asked her to get me some clive barker because i had been reading books of blood volume one through three which is a collected one that you can just get on amazon or whatever um and then I was like, oh, mom, can you grab me some more Clive Barker next time you're near this thrift bookstore that I love that we used to go to in the summer all the time, um, my mom and I, when I was a kid. And she was like, sure. So she grabbed me like Weave World and Thief of Always and Great and Secret Show, uh, which I don't really want to read the fantasy stuff. But she also got me the the smaller trade paperback versions of In the Flesh and In Human Condition. And I have this belief now this may be me making things up in my head but go with me for a second Mm -hmm. all right i had these books when i was in junior high i read in the i read um in human condition and i sold them back to this bookstore do you think she got you back i think that they are like a bad penny but like awesome, you know, like the opposite of a bad penny. I think that this is the second time I've owned the exact same books. Yeah. This is why you got to sign the back of your books, people. Yeah, you got to put like the date and the top where, when you read it. Yeah. Like a library card. Even like 1996. So I don't know. That, that but would it be seems awesome. Too, it seems too odd that... Um, I'm going to believe that. I'm, uh, no, I'm it's, it's the same to covers, believe that. Like I am pretty sure... That's anyway, pretty incre- that's Kyle, incredible. Take us home, buddy. All right, yeah, Kyle, take us home. Um, hey, Scott, you know how yeah. uh, if you join our Patreon, you might or you might have access to a book club. Um, yeah, via yeah. Our Slack, uh, which I would highly recommend. Uh, it's patreoncom backslash HMN HMN podcast. podcast. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know exactly what it is. It was all a test for you guys. <laughs> um, but if you join our Patreon, we just we just started a book club, um, and which I, I I think that we had been dancing around, 
and we were seeing who was mm-hmm. interested. It seems like there was a couple people that were interested, and I might have taken advantage of my trip, uh, my anniversary trip on a plane to listen to the audiobook of uh, Dark Harvest by Norman Partridge. Now, I don't want to say too much, Scott. You might not have uh, read it yet. I know you're part of this book. Oh, no, book. I picked it because I read it and I love it. Oh, okay, fantastic. Okay, so I will... Also, just, just as a preamble for people, the book club isn't just me picking books no it's, it's like going up for a group yes. vote who what sound we were all like everybody in the slack is like able to yeah. make suggestions and then we are agreeing as a group on what to work yeah on. and i was i was really amped for dark harvest i thought it was fun it was short it was i'm not i i'm i'm trying to be a better reader um but i also knew that my months this these past few months were going to be freaking insane so uh dark harvest is perfect so by the time this episode comes out i think that we would have been done with this book so anybody who's listening who's part of the book club um don't worry um, but so dark harvest is is really fun it was uh, a novel out in 2006 and i i felt that it was this beautiful halloweeny mix of the warriors uh and hold on i wrote this down it was a mix of the warriors the purge and shirley jackson's the lottery I was like, this is yeah. like a beautiful sort of like urban legend that happens in this small town that's very children of the corn e, but yeah, then it takes too. place during, you know, Halloween. Um, but it involves getting from like basically one end of town to another that has this sort of magical or legendary properties of if this one particular entity gets from one side of the town to the other. And I loved just the, you know, and this could be a very simple story. This could literally be like a point horror scholastic book, you know, from the 80s or 90s. However, uh, the interesting thing to me was that the author kept sort of breaking the fourth wall and telling the audience that they knew of this story or that they had done this before or that they had lived in this town or like they kept alluding to that, like we as a reader knows what how the story goes so it allowed us to like fill in the blanks a little bit while also not being totally obscured by the fact that they're asking the author is asking us to believe in a thing you know sometimes that could go a different way where it's like well you have to tell me what i'm trying to think like you have to that's why i'm reading a book like it makes me think (laughs) it, it weirdly makes me think of the opening the what you're describing is making me think of the opening to um charles dickens a Christmas Carol, yeah, uh, where he literally says like Marley was dead, and, mm-hmm. and like he elaborates like it is important for you, the reader, to understand this fact, or nothing that happens beyond this point will seem as magical as it, it is. It was, yeah. Please accept that Marley is dead. It was, like, it was a very like, gentle like accepting you back <laughs> into the fray of like you like this is a story I'm telling you, but like if you think about you it, like you know, it, yeah, exactly. You know it. it was, it was really fun, really short read. You know, I had ended up buying the audiobook. Um, I was hoping that my uh, my um, library had it via. It's not Overdrive anymore. It's Libby, right? Um, Libby, yep. Via Libby. They did not. I didn't request it in time. Woe is me. (laughs) I paid the eight bucks on Spotify for it, but it's like four and a half hours. It was the perfect plane ride fodder. Um, And the the audiobook reader was sort of like sinister, but I was able to follow along. Um, You know, a couple like... You know, and it might have just been the audiobook thing. A couple too many like frilly things. I think if I was reading it, 
like in hand it might not have felt that way but um but i really enjoyed it I, i'm excited for this book club that we have i'm excited to dig in more and talk to um people on our patreon and on our slack page uh about the books that we read so uh that's uh a hint for you to join at patreon.com yeah, there's a lot of great stuff at that Patreon, including what we're about to record as soon as we wrap up this episode, which is, of course, Hellraiser, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, to be more accurate. Uh, we will be back next week. In Tony, we more. trust. In Tony, we trust <laughs> in tomorrow, uh, tomorrow. Next week, we'll be back with more Horror Movie Night. listening to the Geekscape Network. 